I can say amen to that song. We believe, amen. We will be this morning on page uh, 1235. That's John chapter 10, page 1235. John chapter 10. Before we have our reading, uh, we have a reminder for Passover sign-up. That's uh, tomorrow, the last day to sign up for Passover for the meal. So tomorrow by 5 o'clock. And then uh, we have a short prayer list. Linda is still not feeling well, uh, so we will remember her. And then, um, and that's all I have. So... <clears throat> Let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Father God, we look around and we see a multitude of uh, blessings and gifts, and they come straight from you. And so we give you praise and thanks for this. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your plan from times eternal to establish, Lord, your people here on this earth. Thank you for this church family, Lord. We, uh, we lift up Linda and her, her physical health, and we lift up her spiritual health and ask of you your healing and uh, your touch upon her. Father, thank you. Thank you that we could gather here freely to worship you. We pour out our hearts before you to give you the praise and the thanks, <laughs> the glory, the honor, the majesty, the dominion, the power. It's all yours. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave.
reason why the curse of sin is broken There's a reason why the darkness runs from light There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven Jesus is alive
Your 
Well, this is a day that the Lord has made, and this day may not be perfect. There is certainly strife and sin and evil in the world, but this can be a good day, a day that we can align with the Lord, that we can align with his good purpose. So I pray that this would be so. If you would turn with me, we will begin in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, if you're in the church's Bible on page 1397. 2 Peter chapter 3, page A few years ago, the Lord shared an understanding with me. He said, 
there is no room for error. There's no room for error. And given the circumstances I was in, this understanding could not be more true. Because what the Lord was trying to tell me is that there is absolutely no margin. Not just that I wouldn't sin or shouldn't sin, but that I had to be led by his spirit with my every thought and action. Here in Second Peter, he's written this letter and the second to last verse, he concludes all that he's saying. He's reminding God's followers of the day of the Lord. He's saying, don't live as if the Lord is not going to return. Live as if the Lord is returning soon. And he says this, read with me in verse 17. Peter says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. This word here for error is plane, and it means fraudulence, deceitful, deception, delusion, or error. And other translations say for this verse, to be on guard so that you do not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. We live in a world that is full of self-designated risk managers. People who are like generals who determine acceptable casualty rates and business leaders who regulate what is acceptable loss. We are amidst a religious culture that sees error as acceptable, all in moderation. Instead of what error is, that error is fraudulence, deception, and delusion. And for the people of God, there is no such room for this error in our lives. Today we're going to continue the, the study of unleavened bread. And I believe that the Lord has shown me that this is the understanding in this great feast. That we are to live a life without error, without fraudulence, deception, or delusion. And in order to do that, we have to eat of unleavened bread. Of bread that is without sin. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. In the church's Bible on page 62, Exodus chapter 3. The story of Exodus is one that we well know, that we study often, and it's a story of deliverance of God's people from not just political oppression, but spiritual oppression. And this book that we read from Exodus, this word Exodus literally means a way out. And that's what God does for his people. He provides a way out. A way out from sin, a way out from bondage, a way out from their own way to his way. The Hebrews had been in slavery and bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And when they cried out to the Lord, he had a plan for their freedom. Now what we don't read about in Exodus is if there was continual cry for freedom 
from the Hebrews, and the Lord suddenly heard them this time. What I believe that we're to see is that when we truly cry out, the Lord will set us free. If we wonder why we're still where we don't want to be again and again and again, it's because we have not truly cried out. Because when we cry out, the Spirit of God will hear us and respond. Read with me in chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Moses said, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So God hears their cries, and he will raise up this man named Moses to deliver the Hebrews from Pharaoh. So turn next over to chapter 12, over just a few pages on page 72. So what we read in chapter 12 and the next several chapters is this Exodus event. And I say event because the Exodus is, is a long story. It's not one that happens in a few minutes or a few days. Uh, it is a long period of time that the Lord is working through people that are called according to his purpose, working against people who bring evil against God's plan. And the next several chapters of this Exodus event have three feasts that are a part of one experience. The feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And it's easy to, to think of the Passover as simply a meal, as simply a day, and unleavened bread and first fruits as a week. But we should consider the things that transpired in our country leading up to our independence. We celebrate them in one day and we blow off fireworks and we eat cake and we fry chicken and eat brisket. But we celebrate what took many people many years to distinguish themselves from an enemy. And when we read of this Passover, we don't read of the actions of just people, but the actions of God to bring about his plan. So these feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, are part of an event and a, and a spiritual picture for eternity of God's plan. Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits cannot be divided from one another. And I believe that's a grave mistake that many in the church make today is they divide these things from one another. They divide the, the Passover lamb that Jesus is and the unleavened bread that we are called to eat. It is why as we look at a church that is full of sin, full of ignorance, full of fear, full of spiritual turmoil, I believe it's because we are committing these grave mistakes of separating out what God had intended and planned for us. So before we read in chapter 12, I want to share with you really the main points of today's message. 
First, it's not enough that we are to be delivered from sin and bondage. And it's not enough that we abstain from bread that is leavened. What scripture means to say is bread that is filled with sin. We are commanded to eat of unleavened bread. We are commanded to eat of bread that is without sin. So read with me. We'll read in chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is un, excuse me eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So unleavened bread is a part of Passover, and Passover is a part of unleavened bread. But it is distinguished and focused on this leaven. This passage is full of really symbolism that I think that we see sprinkled throughout the Bible and in the New Testament. And the understanding of Jesus and his crucifixion and his reminding his disciples again and again of what bread meant and what bread doesn't mean. When you put a, a little leaven, a little yeast in flour, it grows. It multiplies with each warm second that they remain together. And I say this because I'm not one who works with flour or yeast, but if you've worked with flour, if you've worked with yeast, you can attest to the fact that once that yeast is added, it cannot be separated. It cannot be taken out. Let's look at verse 14. It says, So this day shall be a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. It says a memorial. This is to be something that we remember. We're not to forget this day. Like the memorials that are posted in, in different places in our country that we wouldn't forget wars or experiences our country has had, that we wouldn't forget the things that has happened, the things that we have been through, we are to remember this day far superior to that. This is the day that the Lord delivered his people from sin, from bondage. 
It says it's to be a feast, and a feast is a joyful celebration, a day that's not looked at with sorrow or mourning, but a day that is looked at with gladness. See, we associate sin, I think, so negatively, so sorrowfully, so sadly, that we don't see the joy that God intends us to have in remembering that he has moved us out of sin. Next, it says, for generations, for all the generations. We are to not just pass down this day as a tradition to our children, a day like picking up eggs or eating a certain type of food, but that we are to sow spiritually into the generations that come after us that they would not forget what we know. It is permanent, it says, we talked about this word for permanent, this Hebrew word olam, which means forever, but it means perpetually. It means that, that this day was in, my, in the mind of God far before the Hebrews celebrated it. And it is to be forever afterwards. Finally, it says that this day is to be an ordinance. Some translations say law or statute. This is a word that means to be cut in to be carved or hacked in. It's where we get the understanding set in stone. Like the commandments, this day was to be hacked in and carved in and set in stone. It is forever. Turn over just a few pages, maybe hold your spot here, and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 on page 209. Deuteronomy chapter 6, page 209. In chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving the law once again to the people of Israel before they are to cross over into the promised land. And he has just read through all of God's law that God is giving to his people. And he says this in verse 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I have commanded you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Fifty times in the Old Testament, the Lord pairs these words commandment and statutes again and again to convince his people of the significance of his word. These are the words that we read about the Lord's feast, about unleavened bread, that it is not just a a commandment, but a statute. That these are to be hacked into stone, carved into stone, set into the stone of our hearts, that we're to understand this meaning is forever. Not just that one time we would be delivered from sin and eat some bread that reminds us to eat of the goodness of the Lord, but that forever we would have this understanding in mind. Turn back to Exodus. Let's go to back to Exodus 12 and read in verses 1 and 2. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Now the Lord spoke to Moses 
and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So God begins a new calendar with Israel that is according to this declaration of independence, so to speak. He says, Your lives are now ordered according to being set free from sin. They had their own calendar. They followed the calendars of other nations around them. And God says, not so with you. You are to order your months according to this event forever. You're to remember, this isn't just the second month of the year. This is the first month after that month which I delivered you. This is the third month and fourth month and fifth month and eleventh and twelfth month after that day when I delivered you from bondage in Egypt. You shall never forget. It's so they wouldn't just return to where they were. See, Egypt is synonymous with sin and bondage. Forever in the land of, uh, and the people of Israel, they, they see Egypt, and yes, they see a modern nation, but they see a land where they were oppressed, a land that was full of their sin. And each month of the year, they would be reminded of this so that they wouldn't wander back. Not just geographically to this place. I mean, who would want to go back to Egypt, of course. But so they wouldn't spiritually wander back to this place where sin had an authority in their lives. Read verse 15 with me. It says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So seven is a picture of wholeness, of completeness, of perfection. It wasn't just so the Lord could say, okay, this is a full week. It'll be easier than thinking of five days or six or eight. This was a picture that God was giving, that the Passover was absolutely the significant event here. For we can't eat of unleavened bread. We can't eat of Christ until we're first delivered from sin. But immediately after our lives are changed, immediately after we are delivered from sin, we are to begin eating of this unleavened bread forever. This seven days is a picture of forever. It doesn't mean that Moses would say, okay, guys, all we got to do is make it seven days, and then we can go about to do whatever we want. We can eat the greasy bread again, the bread that's risen. It's a picture that forever we would be reminded not to do our own thing and to eat of the things of this world, to be consumed by the ways of the enemy, the things of our flesh, but that we would consume the things from God. Then it says that they remove the leaven. The mother of the house would work to remove leaven from every crevice of the house. See, when they cooked in this one-room house, the leaven would probably go everywhere. I can only imagine a house without modern HVAC or exhaust and things that would keep the house clean. The modern cleaning agents that we have to keep this flour and leaven from going everywhere, it would take a lot of work to clean the leaven out of the house. But that was the picture, and that's the picture for us, that it, it takes a lot of work to clean this leaven out. The father of the home would then take this leaven out into a field and burn it. 
not just go scatter it for someone else to have it all over them, but burn it from existence. Then it says that those who eat leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. This seems like such a harsh word that somebody who consumes leaven during this time would be completely cut off, never again to return. But it doesn't say someone who accidentally has a bowl of soup with leaven in it or accidentally eats a wafer with some leaven in it. It says someone who eats leaven from the first day till the last. Someone who refuses to eat of unleavened bread and continue on in their own way. Someone who pictorially is eating from the first day until the seventh. This type of rebellion must be cast out from the people of God. They will be cut off. We should understand the seriousness of the Lord's commandment in this feast that leaven, that sin, is not acceptable to God. Verse 16 tells us, On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day... There shall be a holy convocation. The Lord's feast is bookended with convocation, with gathering together by God's people. Now, I'm not sure that the Hebrews fully understood in this moment, in these days, the fullness of what God was teaching them on the outset here. Right there, they're pretty excited to just be leaving Egypt. They're still being chased by the Egyptians as they're crossing the Red Sea. They're leaving with sandals on their feet and all their possessions on their back, and they're leaving in haste. But they were learning through obedience. They were learning through obedience that as they went, God would continue to reveal what we know now, that Christ was the Passover lamb, that Christ is truly our unleavened bread. So let's look at a few places in the New Testament. Turn with me first to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the church's Bible, page 1314. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1314. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is not a Gentile, excuse me, this is not a Jewish congregation. It's not a congregation filled with those who were raised on the teachings of Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. It is a congregation of Gentiles like us. And in this church, Paul is writing to them and he is using the feast of unleavened bread to say that you should no longer remain in the sinful ways that you are. He's writing to those who were Gentile but celebrating unleavened bread. Read in verses 6 through 8 with me. Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
This is not a difficult metaphor to understand, whether you're a baker or trying to kill weeds in your yard. A little bit of a bad thing ruins the whole lot. A little sin not only affects that whole person, but the whole congregation. It's why we're to understand from unleavened bread that those that remain in sin, those that refuse to be changed by God's ways, those that remain in a spirit of rebellion must be cut off lest they become a cancer to the whole body. Christ died so we could be set free from sin, therefore we are to be changed. Not with malice, Paul says. Malice is the intention of doing evil, the intention of sinning. Not with wickedness, he says, which is the act of sin or evil. We are not to come to the feast with sin and evil, the thoughts of, the intentions of, or the actions of sin. We are to keep this feast and live our lives with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says sincerity or truth because if we have malice, if we have wickedness, if we have sin that's just kind of hanging around in our lives, we cannot claim to be sincere and truthful believers in Jesus. We can say that, but it is not sincere or truthful. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, on page 1131. Matthew, chapter 16, page 1131. In chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Verse 5 says that they had forgotten to bring some bread for the day. Read with me in 5 and 6. It says, when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's so interesting because the disciples had forgotten to bring their meal for for the day. They were like a child who forgot to pack a lunch and went to school. And Jesus didn't say, shame on you for forgetting to pack a lunch. He used this opportunity to remind them that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious dom- denominations of that day, beware of their yeast, of their leaven. These people relied mostly on God's word. But they wrote their own laws and they passed around them as ways to interpret God's commandments. God's commandments don't need our interpretation. God's commandments need his inspiration. When I hear that word interpretation, it, it, it incenses me. What they were doing and what we are doing is taking what God intended and manipulating it for our purpose. We must take great caution that we are not aiming to mix our plans with the ways of God. The spirit and the flesh cannot be mixed. They cannot be one. A little bit of our ways, our sin, can leaven it all and cloud us from seeing and from hearing the ways of God. 
Last place we'll look at, turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 6, page 1228. John's Gospel, chapter 6, page 1228. Above chapter 6, you might see feeding the 5,000. This is one of the, the, the large groups that Jesus fed. Our reading takes place just a day after 5,000 people were fed fishes and loaves that Jesus did a miracle to bring them. Let's read in verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. See, these followers, these people came to Jesus, and Jesus says, you're following me because you want another meal, because you saw this miracle I did, not because you want what I really have to offer you. You want the blessings, you don't want the truth. Let's read in 47 through 58 next. Their conversation continues. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of and, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal and I will raise him up at that last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Most of the crowds and those that were listening to Jesus really were pretty offended by this because it seems pretty gruesome and bizarre that he would say, you've got to eat my flesh, eat my body, and drink my blood. But that's because they were listening physically. And Jesus was speaking to them spiritually. Likewise, even in this feast, we cannot look only to the physical lessons of eating unleavened bread, but what the Lord is revealing to us spiritually. Eating of him is believing in him. And Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this feast of unleavened bread. As we started, I, I share with you this understanding the Lord gave me of having no room for error. No room, no margin for sin. 
You see, when the Lord speaks to us, it's not binary. It's not a one or a zero. It's not a yes or a no. But when the Lord speaks to us, his intent is to change us spiritually forever. So initially when the Lord was giving me this understanding, I was in the midst of a situation for sure that required that I abstain from every type of sin, every type of pride, every type of control, every type of selfishness. But more than that, the Lord had to lead and guide my every thought and action. I understood that I couldn't make mistakes, but it was more than that. It was what error revealed. See, error is not just an, indiv an individual action. Error is the result of action. Error occurs to us as a result of us. In error, we are defrauded, deceived, and deluded by the enemy. When we err, we are pulled away from the truths of God and the presence of God. This is why our opening scripture was to be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error or the lawlessness and fall from your secure position. This is the heart of God in unleavened bread, that we would be offensively on guard not only that we would guard against sin in our lives but that we would be consumed by the things that bring us wholeness and peace and alignment with the king of kings and the lord of lords that we'd not just guard against being in sin but that our way would be to being in fellowship with him I pray today and these upcoming days as we celebrate the Lord's Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of first fruits, as we see Jesus being crucified for our transgressions, as we're reminded to eat of his body and drink of his blood, as we celebrate his resurrection, him being our first fruits, that we would not be spectators for this events, but participants and the life-changing work and the resurrection of Jesus. None of us have arrived. We all have sin and leaven that remains in our lives. I pray that we would be like the mothers of the house, that we would seek out this leaven, that we would search it out in every crevice, that we would be like the Father, that we would not just scatter it, but that we would take it out and burn it and that we would eat and drink all of him, that we would be changed for his purpose. Amen.
Come and rain tonight, oh rain.